Hello and welcome to episode four in the Family Law Podcast brought to you by Pump Court Chambers. The topic up for discussion today is what happens with children proceedings uh, when they collide with criminal proceedings. To help me with this topic, I'm joined by Corin Iton of Pump Court. Corin is ranked as a leading barrister in both Chambers and Partners and the Legal 500. Her practice is predominantly complex care proceedings as well as private children cases, and she's been reported in the High Court. Corin, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, Mark. Good. Lovely you to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. And uh, have you melted yet? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I'm melting as we speak. It's, well, we won't. Um, we won't take too much you. of your time then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. I'll try and stay cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So, really, the I think the opening gambit is probably in what, what circumstances are we looking at when. Uh, a children case and a criminal case collide or when they become relevant to each other? Um, it's generally cases where whatever criminal offence or potential criminal offence one or other of the parties in the children proceedings has committed or is alleged to have committed um, has something to do with children so it can be offences of neglect, child neglect, um, but most often in my experience it's cases where there have been unexplained injuries to children and there's a suspicion that one or other, usually of the parents, has inflicted that injury on the child. So the offence in question might be something like GBH or, well, not generally ABH because normally you'd be looking at a fracture or as an absolute minimum bruising, although the police, in my experience, are not often massively excited about those cases, um, but also sexual offences very often. So um, just to sort of think about this with broad detail for a moment, in terms of how that works then, if you've got a, a, a care case and you've got a criminal trial coming up, how does that affect the care case? Because obviously it's a different burden of proof. Is it likely that they'd wait for the criminal trial before making a decision on the fact finding? Um, the general rule is that obviously because the family cases and care cases have got the 26 week time limit, well, limit, the, the aim, the, <laughs> the, the supposed, the guideline, <laughs> then, well, it's a bit more than that, isn't it? It is actually in the Children yeah. Act, but <laughs> because of the 26 week time frame for care proceedings, um, care proceedings, as a general rule, can't and don't wait for criminal proceedings. But actually, I was thinking about this earlier and, and, and thinking about why it was that I'd so rarely, or until last week, never done a linked criminal and care directions hearing. And the reason that came to my mind was actually it's very, very rare that the police and the CPS charge parents in care proceedings before the family court has run its course and done its fact-finding. So uh, it's, it's very rare. Um, and, but the reported cases do suggest that you shouldn't wait, and certainly in other circumstances I've come across, um, including in private law proceedings, where the family court just says, look, we can't wait for the police or CPS to do their thing and um, make the criminal proceedings happen before the family proceedings. But logically speaking, it can 
make a lot of sense if you do get the criminal mm. trial before the family um, final hearing, for instance. Yeah, I mean, you talked about police or CPS not charging. I mean, is it that uh, you may not be able to answer, but they're effectively waiting to road test the evidence in the family court, see see what happens, and then That's make a decision. Absolutely the case. That's what any pretty much any care practitioner, I think, will tell you that. <laughs> Uh, all the time we've got the police waiting on the sidelines so they might make an initial arrest and interview the parents and get a first account from them as to what's happened and then they go awfully quiet while they wait for the family courts to take to take its family proceedings to take its course and then they apply for disclosure when there's been a finding yeah. of fact hearing um, because uh, from their point of view I, I suppose unless it's extremely serious, they aren't in a massive hurry. And if in a family court, there are no findings made against the parents, they know they'll never get over their own test mm. for even charging parents. Because if you don't get home on the balance of probabilities, the chances that you'll get home beyond reasonable doubt, also that the jury is sure, are nil. So yeah. Very yeah, close so I, to nil. yeah, you can sympathise with that approach, I suppose. Um, you mentioned that last week you came across a linked criminal and care case. Wonder uh, within you know the confines of what you can say, whether you could tell us a bit more about that. Um, yeah, so this was the unusual case where the alleged offences involved are so serious that both parents had not only been arrested but actually been charged with offences. I don't think I can probably go into an enormous amount of detail but the charges particularly against the father who was my client were extremely serious um, sexual offences against a child um, the, the parents child and the mother was ultimately charged with aiding and abetting um, him in these offences um, it was so serious that in this instance both parents were initially remanded in custody and in fact the care proceedings were kind of simple in inverted commas at the start because neither parent was available available to give any care so the interim care order hearings were relatively short and not tremendously controversial um, but then the merry-go-round started of the police clearly had a lot of information that was going to be highly pertinent to the um, care case in which findings were going to have to be made unless obviously the parents were going to accept what was alleged against them. Um, and the court, the family court, wanted disclosure from the police and the CPS, but because they in fact were pursuing matters with quite a lot of diligence, the judge in the family court was quite reluctant to make any orders for disclosure and the local authority was liaising very closely with the CPS and the police. And we were basically told that until the parents had entered their plea, what we were going to be given by way of disclosure was going to be extremely limited. Um, and, but again, so that meant whilst this all came to light in March, by May, June, July, we still didn't have more than the AB interview of the child, um, an indictment, and a couple of other bits and bobs that gave us the general idea. Um, and the family 
judge started to get a bit jumpy about mm. the fact that we were now four months into proceedings and still no closer to being able to list a finding of fact hearing. Um, Unsurprising. Yes, and so that was the point at which she, it was her idea to say, actually, you know, there is a protocol for these things. Why don't we list um, a joint or a linked family and criminal hearing? I think it was helped in this particular instance that she was, well, I don't know if she was friends, but she personally knew the judge who was responsible for the case in the Crown Court, because in the Crown Court, they'd had quite a few aborted plea and case preparation hearings for one thing because my client attempted to take his own life rather sadly and so his health was not in a good place and so he couldn't be brought to court to enter a plea and Gosh. they didn't want to take the mother's plea until they had both parents there. So that was delayed. I think they had about three or four attempts at a plea and case preparation hearing. Um, and we knew that there was going to be one last week. And so at the last family hearing, the judge said, right, let's just list it all at the same time and then we can deal with everything together. Yeah. I mean, in terms of you say deal with everything, what, what are, from your point of view, what were the issues on the table then? So the... Probably the most important issue from my point of view was the timing of the two trials. So by then the family judge had actually lost patience and listed um, what was going to, what, what is going to be a combined finding of fact and final welfare hearing starting um, mid-January. Um, but we sort of wanted to know when the criminal trial was likely to be and certainly I could foresee all sorts of difficulties because there was going to be a child, at least one child witness who was the main complainant, so one of the daughters of, of these parents. And I could foresee that the participants in the criminal trial were not going to be overjoyed at the idea of a 13-year-old giving evidence in the family court first mm. to then essentially have a tainted witness, arguably, if she was going to have to give evidence in a criminal trial after that. Um, and so that was probably the main issue, but there was also the question of disclosure because we still hadn't got very much information. Mm. So what? Uh, uh, how, how does that interrelation work then in terms of the, the child witness? Well, so I suppose what both sets of proceedings have in common is that the child's evidence in chief would be probably her ABE interviews, her video recorded interviews, of which there were two. Um, and then the question was obviously in the family proceedings, we already had listed a REW hearing mm. at which the court was going to decide whether she should be called to give evidence. There was also potentially a second child witness because she had told her boyfriend about some of the things she was alleging and I could foresee that he might need to be called to give evidence as well. Um, in the criminal proceedings, I think in criminal cases, they are much more, well, gung-ho for want of a better expression about calling child witnesses and a 13 year old is practically grown up as far as <laughs> criminal proceedings are concerned um, but I suppose if we were going to have her give evidence first 
in the family proceeding because the rules of evidence family cases are so um, well again for want of a better word relaxed and there aren't the strict rules mm. about hearsay on so and so on um, I could imagine that if this child had been asked all sorts of questions and, and in a sense prepared how to answer questions in cross-examination, you might think when she came to give her criminal evidence that there could be arguments about how reliable her evidence in fact was. Although I suppose if her chief is her chief, then yeah. uh, you know that the, having the sort of practice run in the family court, so to speak, is not going to change that, is it? No, that's absolutely right. And so it may, it would not necessarily, I would have thought, have been um, a, a massive difficulty if the criminal proceedings hadn't taken place before the family proceedings. Although another consideration from the family point of view in this case was because the um, offences were so very serious, it, even if for the sake of argument, um, the findings, for instance, against the mother in the family case had not been so bad as to rule her out. If she was going to be found guilty in the criminal court, she might nonetheless not have been around mm. to look after the children. So that was an added complication in a way. But as it happens, one of the things that this combined hearing or the linked hearing achieved was that, that the criminal case has now been listed before the family case in theory, anyway. <laughs> well, yes. Actually, I think, again, a thing that um, was achieved by having everybody there and having both just there was case 4th of January being put in a at-risk list. Right. Sorry, I lost you there. This is the, the downside of doing this thing over Zoom. <laughs> social distancing. Ah. So, so the judge, both the family judge and, and the criminal judge were there? Yes. Um, in fact, this was one where they were there in person, physically, um, in the Crown Court, and they both sat. Um, and it was it was a hybrid here. Well, it, it was it was moderately complex in the sense that <laughs> it was a hybrid hearing for the linked hearing, and the family judge had also listed um, a further case management hearing immediately after in the family court only. So we had all the personnel in the court. Well, we had the two defendants and the Crown Prosecution Barrister, my client's criminal defence barrister, my client's criminal solicitor, me, and solicitor for the local authority. We were the people who attended. There were also two interpreters and the two parents were there in person, my client having been brought from custody, which again was fairly crucial because mm. one of the side effects of COVID-19 has been it's been almost impossible to get legal visits to prisons and to, to take instructions. And in fact, that was one of the things that ended up getting in my way of instructions from my client because yeah. the criminal team hadn't seen him at all. Whereas my instructing solicitor had managed a video conference with him, actually with the help of the family court um, before. So I gave them precedence because they needed to know what his plea would be. That's, that would probably be helpful. Um, yep. <laughs> so I, mean, I think the last thing to talk about on this is really disclosure. You mentioned it before, and I suppose yeah. it goes both ways, doesn't it? You were wanting disclosure from the police, yep. but 
in other circumstances the police might want disclosure from you yes absolutely um and it generally i mean in this case actually we also ended up with an application or an indication in writing from the cps that they wanted uh, the states the parents had made in our proceedings in the family proceedings and where i've come across this before the family court has been very reluctant to order any disclosure in to the cps or the police whilst the family proceedings are ongoing the most most of the time the question of disclosure to the police or um, CPS arises at the end of family proceedings when there's a judgment and obviously the judgment itself is automatically disclose, disclosable um, under the family procedure rules uh, or, or rather um, practice direction and I now need to remind myself which practice direction <laughs> is this, 12G. <laughs> okay, impressive, um, impressive part of the recollection. Um, well, so, so, there's the, the the judgment what else would they generally be looking for um i've come across it more often now that they ask for well they certainly they often ask for expert reports and they do ask for those in the course of proceedings i've got a case on the go at the moment where that's just happened we've just had a c2 from the police asking for disclosure of expert reports um and right. and again parents statements that tends to be the sort of thing they ask for. Um, social of, services sorry. records as well, forgive me. No, that's right. Um, in terms of just uh, either you're making you or resisting that application, what are the kind of, if you're resisting it, what grounds are you resisting on? Um, if I'm resisting from the, the family, the disclosure application by the police or yes, the CPS yeah, exactly. from the family, um, then then there is a surprise surprise case law on this <laughs> and a case that's extremely helpful because it sets out the rules um going back to an older case in fact but it's um mr justice baker as he was um in a case called rex and y disclosure of judge disclosure of judgment to police 2014 ewhc 278 fam um that set out the principles that were first um, pronounced in a case called VEC and it set out a list of factors. Um, they are, there are 10 factors basically that the court has to take into account and they include unsurprisingly the welfare and interests of the child and children concerned, mm. welfare and interests of children generally, maintenance of confidentiality in children cases, um, but also factors to do with the desirability of working across agencies and the police, the different arms of justice, as it were, working yeah. together and share, sharing information. And, then it's, and obviously the public interest that in um, people who've committed crimes being prosecuted and mm. brought to justice. So does, and, and I know obviously you're a family practitioner, not a criminal practitioner, but in terms of those considerations, do they go both ways when the police are, um, in terms of you getting disclosure from criminal proceedings? Um, I think in theory, they probably do in the sense that the application for this, the argument about whether police material should be disclosed into family proceedings generally also happens in the family court because mm. what will have happened is the family judge will be asked to make an order 
for disclosure against the police, for instance, and the police will object and make an application for the order to be set aside or varied. And so it's the family judge who will make that yeah. decision unless the police rely on public interest immunity, which sometimes they do, at which point it all becomes very cloak and dagger. And if you're a lowly counsel for mother or father, you generally don't get to hear what the yeah. argument is about. Yeah. Well, we, I was speaking to Paul Mertens about that last week, about special advocates and when they come in. Um, fine. OK, well, I think that's probably about what we've got time for today. It's far too hot to speak any longer and really... <laughs> probably each need to go off and find our nearest respective paddling pools. Um, Corinne, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really, really interesting. Um, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Coming soon, we'll be talking about how to get a cost order against a legally aided party and actually get some money out of them. We'll also be looking at trusts on divorce and how one goes about attacking them. As ever, please send in topics you'd like to hear discussed to m.ablett at pumpcourtchambers.com and thank you so much to those who have already written to me. Corinne, thank you very, very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you and goodbye.